This is Dr. B, and you're listening to Side Talk. My guest today is Kay Heimowitz. She's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a public policy think tank in New York City, and a contributing editor at the Institute's Quarterly City Journal. She's the author of five books, including several on children, young adults, and parenting. These books include Ready or Not, Liberation's Children, Parents and Children in a Postmodern Age, Manning Up, How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men into Boys. Her work has also appeared in many major publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, Time Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal, and she's appeared on numerous television and radio shows to talk about her work. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So why don't we start with the 20-somethings with regard to your book, Manning Up, and maybe you could help us understand young adulthood as a developmental stage and what are some of the tasks and challenges of that stage. Well, uh, let me talk about it in in what way it's changed, um, because we really didn't have this long period of single life um, where people were both uh, sexually mature, uh, sexually liberated in the sense of free uh, to to pursue sexual relations, um, and uh, uh, where women and men were both looking for work and, and training for careers. So that's a totally different um, ecology in which young people are growing up today, and that started maybe – Oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I always like to talk about the uh, question of when when people expect to become adults defined by marriage, which was always the way it used to be defined. I realize that that's not satisfactory to a lot of people these days. But um, I think as we talk, you'll see why I come back to that. Since I do see the um, two major tasks of young adulthood as finding work that's satisfying um, and uh, hopefully remunerative uh, and uh, finding a partner with whom to raise children. That's what is socially important. I mean, uh, it's fine if you don't want to have children um, but in terms of what the society as a whole needs to be paying most attention to, it is the development of children and the next generation. So that is why I put so much focus on the um, uh, that task of finding a partner, uh, hopefully a permanent partner, um, or at least make that effort to think of it that way, uh, and raising the raising a family. Um, now, it used to be that that happened much earlier than it does today. So, um, these days, people, I think the average age of marriage, mean age of marriage for women is about 28 years old and for men 29. Um, in my day, when I married, 
it was kind of hard to believe when I think back. Uh, it was, uh, 21 for women and 23 for men. So I'm big not difference. Methuselah. I'm not young, but, uh, that's a big, big shift. And what it did was open up this huge space of single life that just had not existed in the past. Um, or at least not for that length of time. And at least, uh, where people were living independently. There, there have been time, you know, Americans tended to marry a little later, except in the 1950s, a little later than, uh, some, some places. But, uh, generally you stayed with the family, uh, or in, um, maybe at most in a boarding room, boarding house in, in cities. So that's the kind of, um, broader geography of where kids are going. I could mention one more thing, actually, uh, and that is that one of the things that's happened that also lengthens this period of young adulthood is that there was a huge change in the economy. Um, in the olden days, you know, pre, let's say, 1970, or, uh, well, it, it, it's, a you know, it's a somewhat gradual shift, but in those days, young men could expect to find a job directly out of high school or in some cases even without finishing high school. So uh, the economy was largely a manufacturing economy. Uh, it was a low-skilled or medium-skilled economy. You didn't need a lot of training for it. Uh, and um, because for a whole variety of reasons, women weren't expected to partake in that. Um, one of the, the major reason being that they didn't have reliable birth control uh, and it was very difficult for women to get out of the house and it was expected that, that mothers, that children needed to be raised by their mothers. Um, that whole economy of the manufacturing, what people sometimes refer to as the manufacturing economy is is no, more or less no more i mean we're hearing about this all the time now uh that the manufacturing sector is is dying in this country and it is to a to a big extent although even that's a complicated story uh and what's happened is that we had this emergence of what's sometimes called a postmodern or postindustrial i refer to it usually as the knowledge economy and that economy takes an enormous amount of training uh because it's brain work uh and so college became more and more necessary for people to be able to achieve middle class status uh and to uh raise their children as middle class kids um and so uh the emphasis got put there uh and so that also lengthened this period enormously so if we go to work and how young adults these days are spending more time trying to find satisfying work how much emphasis are they putting on the intrinsic value of work versus just getting a job that you know, sort of pays the bills. So that's, um, by, uh, is, is very different by class. Um, middle class and, um, upper middle class, uh, put tremendous emphasis on satisfying work. Um, and on remunerative work. I mean, it's, you know, you're ideally, you're not just, um, not just finding work you love, find your passion as, as we sometimes say, but that you're also finding, 
uh, work that will pay, you know, help support a family. Um, we have, you know, basically in most college educated homes, there are two workers for most of the child's life. It's not, uh, sometimes women take a little time off. Um, but, uh, for the most part, you've got two earners, um, which, uh, and, and, uh, there's been a real growth in what, um, uh, sociologists and demographers call assortative mating. And that means people like marrying like. So college educated people tend to marry college educated people, which creates, um, uh, more, um, wealthier homes and has added to inequality, by the way. At any rate, the, um, for, for people with less than a college degree, it is much, uh, more difficult, uh, to think in terms of jobs you love. Now, there are, there are ways to do it. And, um, I just finished an article for City Journal on a trade school outside Philadelphia. Um, uh, where, um, the students are, come from fairly low, they're low income homes. It's cause it's a all scholarship school and, um, often very dysfunctional homes, often, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, chaos, um, drug abuse, that kind of thing. Um, but they, uh, are fortunate enough to get accepted into this program where they are trained to uh, develop a trade and those kids love that work so i don't want to pretend that the only way to be happy uh is to is to uh, get a college degree and i think more and more we're going to see an emphasis on in terms of policy how to create more satisfying and remunerative work for uh, uh, less educated people it's a, a huge huge issue in in the united states right now so in terms of this longer stretch of young adulthood and a lot of the development that takes place during that period of time, what change have you seen with regard to like gender role expectations? Well, I've seen, uh, you know, the obvious ones, which is that uh, men are much more engaged in the task of child rearing and, uh, you know, homemaking too. Um, I, you know, when I graduated college and that was in 1970, um, if that was already starting, I mean, our, the, the men that my, my friends and I married expected to be hands-on fathers, not to the extent I think of today, but it was well underway and no, uh, you know, the edu- educated people at any rate, uh, didn't usually think, I won't say everybody, but it's certainly my peer group and many peer, many educated peer groups. It was assumed that women would have a career. Uh, they might take time off, as I mentioned before, but, uh, and their career might well come second, but they were expected to work. So, um, this has been a gradual process, the, but what's also happened that, and this also adds to the class divide that we talked about earlier. What also happens is that, um, uh, for, for a variety of reasons we can talk about if you're interested, um, less educated, uh, women, uh, and men are not getting married before they have their children. They're having their children 
in fact, at younger ages than educated people, but they're not marrying before they do so. And um, that has created a lot, lot more uncertainty in those homes, those relationships cohabiting. They're often cohabiting, not always. Those cohabiting relationships, just to statistically speaking, tend to be much more unstable. They break up faster. There's more um, um, what what's Again, the sociologists call multi-partner fertility, where there's uh, children by uh, multiple partners, uh, multiple step and half siblings, and a lot of a, a lot of um, chaos in in the children's lives. What are some of the reasons for that that they're having children before getting married? Um, <clears throat> That that would take a long time. To or answer. just if you can uh, give like, us well, maybe one or two or something. Yeah. Okay. So the one reason is economic. That um, young man, as I mentioned before, can no longer count on the stable manufacturing jobs that gave you benefits and you know uh, pensions and all of that. So there's much more uncertainty in that respect. If anything, women are doing a little better than men. I mean, there's more sort of lower mid-skill jobs uh, for women, the white-collar jobs that you don't need uh, a college, maybe you don't need a college education for, but you can get two-year training and uh, and women women are more likely to do those. So that's one major reason. But the other major reason is there really was a cultural shift uh, that happened after the 60s. Um, where marriage was no longer seen as essential uh, for raising children. Uh, st- stable married couples were no longer seen as uh, essential. Um, and that was, you know, do your own thing. And, you know, and single mothers were just as, you know, yay, single mothers kind of thing. Um, and um, I, you know, without trying to, without criticizing any individual, because there's so many reasons that these things don't work out, this was not a good norm to introduce into the culture, I believe, and has been not good for children, uh, has uh, added to poverty and inequality, uh, and has also uh, not been particularly good for men. So uh, just to go to the title uh, or the, you know, the first part of the title, Manning Up, how did you come up with that title and <laughs> what does that title suggest about men and uh, gender role or development at okay. this age? Yeah, so I'm going to um, – I'm going to apologize for the title a little bit. Um, that – and, you know, anybody who's written a book, um, a commercial book will know that Sometimes the title is more of an advertisement than a, than a genuine reflection of the book. And I had some misgivings about it at the time, but, you know, these, I was dealing with editors and publicity people who were much more experienced than I, and I, and I went with it. I wish I had not. Uh, but what, the reason that we did come up with that title is that what I, I was inspired in part by, um, my, Older children who were coming of it were in young adulthood, uh, at the time that I was writing Manning Up. And what I was noticing was that the women were a little more together than the men. I'm not sure that's still true, 
But it's it was true at the time, and women were compl- young women were complaining quite a bit about the immaturity of the men they were meeting. Uh, who, men who, you know, they were, they had Star Wars posters in their, in their dirty apartments, and, you know, and these were supposed to be future mates. I don't think so. So there were, um, there was some dissatisfaction that I was hearing, and I have some evidence in the book for, <clears throat> that that was fairly widespread. Um, I'm not sure what's happening now. You're probably more in touch in some ways than I am. What I didn't anticipate when I wrote the book was most of the kids that I was talking to and watching were in their late 20s, maybe very early 30s. And what I didn't anticipate that this was that this was just a delay. It wasn't a sign of uh, permanent fecklessness on the part of young men and that most of these guys would go on and start family, marry and start families and, you know, be dads and very hands-on dads and good dads. So, um, so what is the regret that you have in using the title? Well, it implies that they, you know, they're all so immature and they, it's all their pro. Well, I, I don't think by the way that the book, um, some some men read it, and understandably given the title, as a uh, critique of men. Um, you know, I, I think actually the substance of the book is a little more complicated than that, and I try to describe this long, uh, this enormous shift in um, this uh, period of life, and how that has sort of shaken up people's expectations and planning. Uh, men and women. Um, and one of the things I argued there and I would still argue is that women are in a much more, in, are actually during that, that period in a trickier position than men, even though they're doing quite well. If you just look at the statistics in terms of, uh, earnings and, and achievement, um, actually, uh, there is no gender wage gap among women in their twenties. I mean, if you look by occupation. So, uh, that, ha- that changes when the children come. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I, um, it, I, I tried to talk about, you know, what, what these big structural changes were that were changing people's expectations. Cause a lot of people my age were watching their kids and going, what's wrong with my kids? Why aren't they settling down? Um, but there were good reasons why they weren't settling down. So I like the reference to the Star Wars poster and sort of along those lines, what are some other signs of a developmental delay where you see adolescence, late adolescence bleed into young adulthood? So one of the, one of the uh, very popular indices that people refer to is the, a child, um, an adult child, uh, coming to be able to support themselves and live independently. Um, you're, by the way, I should just say, uh, you're, you're raising the question, you're, you're identifying a problem that we have now. What is an adult? Because there is this bleeding like you're talking about. It used to be pretty clear, but it is no longer, uh, so clear because we've got this long period where a lot is going on. And it would be ridiculous to talk about a 28-year-old lawyer, you know, as as not an adult, even if they're single. But at any rate, um, I think that uh, moving out of the house 
uh, becoming financially independent is, is generally understood to be a, a goal and a, a signpost that the child is, is, is now an adult. That's become complicated because there is this long period of training and you're not getting paid if you're going to graduate school probably. Uh, and you may need mom and, uh, you know, we call it the bank of mom and dad <laughs> to help out during that training period as much as possible. And I found, uh, well, the, you know, this is partly a New York City story that, uh, even as full adults married and with children, they still need a little help if you can possibly give it. It's very tough out there. I don't think that's necessarily true all over the country. And have you looked at kids at the, in this age range who have gone back to live with their families and the impact of that? I haven't looked at that. Uh, I can tell you from observation and personal experience that it's, it depends on the kid. Uh, there are plenty of kids, and I, I, had, I, you know, I have one, who ha- – well, actually, uh, two of my kids came back. Um, one was going to medical school. You know what? <laughs> she was, she was going to class. It wasn't, you know, she wasn't just hanging around. And the other was in between jobs and had a very rough time finding a, uh, the job that he wanted. And I didn't resent that at all. I knew that he was, I, I knew how hard he was looking for a job and I knew how much it, it meant to him to find the right one. And we were basically subsidizing not his video gaming or anything like that. We were subsidizing a search, what I thought to be a worthwhile search for a good job, and it worked out. So there we go. And what other cultural shifts have you seen that maybe you haven't mentioned that have sort of had an influence on young adulthood maybe over the last five years? Yeah, well, the big one, of course, is social media. Um <clears throat> It's not something that I've studied carefully. Um, there's a lot of talk, uh, you know, about whether ultimately social media is kind of isolating for people. Um, and, um, I imagine you and, and your listeners are, are seeing some evidence of this, um, that people are not, not comfortable even talking, talking to people. Can't remember who was telling me just the other day that, uh, oh, oh, yes, I heard the story that uh, somebody I know was in jury duty, and um, you know, there's a lot of waiting around jury duty, and this is all of the millennials. That's a kind of generic term. I don't know exactly what uh, he was referring to. All the millennials were just looking at their phones the entire time. Now, jury duty for all its problems, can be an excellent time to observe and meet people that you would never meet otherwise. And what a, what a shame to, to not take advantage of that. Uh, so th- there could be that kind of thing going on, of uh, just a kind of insulation that happens. Um, I think also there's a <clears throat> insulation in terms of You've got this set of friends and you don't have to, you don't have to really get to know other people or encounter them in any serious way, uh, because you're, you can always, uh, curate your, your, um, friends and, uh, and companions. What do you think of these generation descriptors like millennials and, and what does that mean? 
these days? What it, when we refer to this, you know, this generation as millennials? Well, you know, a lot of this is it's media friendly. Does it have any relevance? It has some. Um, I mean, you know, there are always artificial boundaries, so that, you know, because you gotta have a definition. Um, and I do think that, um, well, I have three kids and one of them would be considered a millennial and the two olders would be, I'm not even sure. They're not really Gen X. So, you know, that's a problem, uh, because they're, um, they, uh, they're in their late thirties and early forties. Um, but I think it can be useful. I think we go overboard with it sometimes. And I think you should always, whenever you <clears throat> use or hear those terms, be aware that you're not really talking about a thing. It's a, it's a way, but is there, are there generational differences? Yeah. I, you know, I have no question that, that, uh, People in a fast-moving society like our own, this is not true for traditional societies, there are shifts all the time, and it changes people's mindsets, and it changes their expectations. That's exactly what I was describing when I was talking about this huge economic shift uh, and shift in the, in the uh, developmental trajectory. Uh, parents wouldn't understand that. It was different in those days, in their day. Uh, so you can't help, it is useful in that case to think of generational change. And if you want to give a name to it, mm-hmm. by all means do so. Just be aware that there are always exceptions and reasons that, uh, there, there's a lot of variety. I mean, I, I will say one thing about that. You know, I have noticed a tendency in the media and perhaps in popular conversation as well for people to see to think of millennials as all college educated which they are not most are not um about 35% of um young of uh, young people are are college or of our population are are college educated um more than that go to college but an awful lot drop out so this is kind of indirectly related, but um, what do you see as the role of parenting in young adulthood? Sometimes you feel like you launch your child and then you yeah. sort of step back. But I wonder if with young adulthood extended in the way yeah. that it is these days, if parents need to play a more active role in their children's lives. Well, I think they do. And I think that's um Understandable and in many cases useful. Um, I always tell friends and, and younger friends, it is very, the twenties are very difficult these days. And, um, I always, I always said that we had a much harder time when the kid, when our kids were in their twenties than when they were teenagers. I mean, teen, you know, in our minds, teen, the teenage years were supposed to be god awful, but, I really found the twenties difficult, not because of rebellion exactly, but uncertainty. Uh, and that these tests that we talked about just being much more difficult, uh, and loaded than they, than they used to be. So I would say that, um, you ha- you're going to be involved. I mean, you also have to recognize these are mature, you know, they're mature, but they're not. <laughs> There's so much they don't know. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, I, 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 this is just personal 
mm-hmm. preference in my case, but I, you know, I think, yeah, they can use some advice if it's given carefully and with understanding of who the individual child is. Um, but, um, you know, I certainly always said to my kids, and I had friends who were just horrified to hear I did this, that, you know, you had these two tasks. You would be uh, looking for good, you know, good work, and you would be looking for a, a wife or husband, somebody to, the, I'll put it this way, the mother or father of your children. Um, now, the fact is, you know, most of the parents my age I know are very, very excited when their kids reach those stages, although they were reluctant to recommend them. <laughs> so based on your um, knowledge at this point of young adulthood, if you look towards the past and look at the changes over time, where do you predict young adulthood will be in another 10 years, 20 years? What changes might we see in that during that time? Like where do you predict maybe it goes? Well, I don't like predictions. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I was, we always get it wrong. Um, but what I would say, um, is, is this. There's every reason to think that higher education, that training will become, will, will still be important. Now we don't know what the, uh, automation is going to bring. Uh, and how careers are going to be changing and how occupations will be changing. I mean, when I, I was growing up, who would have thought that you could grow up to be a videographer? And I mean, it, you know, the, it's impossible to predict a lot of this stuff, but chances are it will require training. I'm hoping we can find a way, uh, to mitigate the impact of the four year college. Uh, problem, which I see as a problem because it excludes many, many people. Uh, and I'm not even sure it's doing such a good job for the people that it's not excluding. What would you want to see as an alternative? Not sure. I'm not sure. I'd like, you know, more of these trade, more trade schools, but also just a change in the uh, mindset of the middle class and the elites, uh, the, of uh, how we view, uh, the non-college educated and how we treat their work. Um, and that will require some economic changes as well. So, um, that's, that's more wish than prediction. Um, I think the big question mark is what happens to marriage. Um, the younger generations, certainly according to polling, uh, they will say, oh, they want to be a parent and, you know, but marriage isn't necessary. Now, they will change their minds, some of them, uh, and kids, you know, even though I talked a little bit before about how generations change, they do tend to follow their families in certain ways. And most of the, uh, you know, the large majority of college educated kids come from two parent families, particularly in elite colleges. And they're likely to want to do that too. Uh, so I predict that that will continue for some time at that level. Now there may come a point where just there's, a, there may be a kind of tipping point we reach. So far, when you look at the data, the um, percentage of young women who are having children outside of 
outside of, but not married, uh, is still under 10% uh, if they're college educated, whereas it's, you know, over half um, for, for others. So under 10% is manageable, doesn't change the norm for, for those people. Uh, but I, that could shift. I don't, I don't know, but it's something to watch that those numbers. It sounds like you place a premium on marriage. I do. And not necessarily a partnership, cohabitation, a life partner. What, why is it that you, that you seem to value marriage more? Because, um, what we have seen repeatedly in the data, uh, you know, watching this for year, for decades now, uh, is that um, in the United States, and I'll talk about other countries briefly in a minute, um, in the United States, the partnerships that last are married partnerships. Now, that may seem ha-ha-ha, given all the divorce and all, but divorce rates are down, way down. Uh, and part of that, part of the reason for that is that lower income people are not marrying, they're just having children. Uh, and that's not better. Uh, and in many ways it's, it's worse because the fathers become more distant, uh, when the mother, when, when the couple breaks up. And, you know, at least with divorce, you tend to have, I mean, there's, you know, uh, you tend to have fathers more engaged once that, once marriage is on the table. So, I put a lot of emphasis on it in part through data, but also in part through just reading a lot of history, anthropology, ethnography, that um, every society, every society that we know of uh, has um, had some kind of recognition of the partnership of parents. Uh, it's often religious. It's not always religious. It can just be civil. Um but that and and that is the way you identify the children that the children are become part of the family it's the way that we develop kin um extended family um i just uh finished a piece but the last piece i did for uh city journal was called alone and it was based on uh some new studies showing that um we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of People aging uh, and alone. Um, there are stories by, by choice. No, well, that's a hard uh -huh. question to uh -huh. answer. Uh, no, I, I think nobody wants to die alone. But the, the hospitals are seeing this. People coming to the hospital, nobody to visit, nobody to be there when they die. Uh, there are now. This is not just an American problem, by the way. This is actually the biggest. Problem, uh, biggest, uh, the country having the biggest problem is Japan, which is a whole another interesting story. Uh, but they have what are called lonely deaths. Uh, they're in the paper all the time of bodies that have been left behind. So this is what happens when the family breaks down, and it is breaking down in Japan as well. And the family is defined as, you know, a t um, uh, related by marriage, or or uh, or uh, biology, yeah. So it also sounds like it's a heterosexual model through yeah. which you've examined some of these trends and patterns. Would you well, say because there has simply been no other society in the history of the world 
where that um, norm has been, where that, you know, the society's basic foundation was um, uh, couples of all sorts. It was always the um, heterosexual couple and that or which but it could also be polygamous i mean but a, the heterosexual union uh and that was for the you know the reason for that was not bias or hostility it was that we didn't have the same control over reproduction that we do today and every society had to worry about the single mother because she her kids were less likely to survive uh, um, they were, um, uh, y- yes, and there were social norms also against it. But, but even if you go, you know, back to cave death, if you didn't have a male attached to the child, uh, there were dangers associated with that. Um, and I think there continue to be. Um, but whether you agree with that or not, that's how this model developed. It wasn't, it was simply, a social necessity. Who's going to take care of the kids? So you're saying it was a social necessity more so than a cultural bias. I, it's a cultural bias that emerged out of a, a, a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything else you want to add about young adulthood that you kind of have come across that's really captured your attention before we end for today? I think I would just emphasize again um, how different the class arrangements are these days. I've, I've been amazed to see, because uh, I, I didn't expect this given how anti-marriage, even my, my kids' generation, uh, people in their 30s and, and early 40s were verbally in their 20s. I've been amazed at how totally bourgeois they really are. Uh, again, this is a very select group I'm talking about. Educated, uh, urban, from middle class families. Um, that is not the world uh, that my grandchildren are growing into. Um, I, it's very hard to predict what, what that will be. But I, like I said before, I think kids tend to adopt the patterns, those gross patterns. Uh, of their of their parents, unless there's some real uh, economic or cultural, you know, bomb that goes off. So mm-hmm. that would be what I would mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. most concerned about for the country uh, and for our children. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thanks. Okay.